Cedar Street, I love you very much. It's the joy of my heart to be with you here this morning. I'm so grateful to have so many family members and friends visiting us as well. I pray that you're having a great Easter and that today is just going to be a day that God fills your heart with joy. But you know, I, I always think about this. Maybe I'm just weird. We, we all know this. Um, in a room this big, I'm always wondering, what's on everybody's mind right now? All right, we know that we should be thinking about Jesus, and we should be thinking about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior as the pinnacle of our faith. And sometimes we come in here on Easter Sunday and we harbor these feelings of guilt because we're not thinking every moment the way we should. Uh, so let me just ask you this question. Let me get real with you for a second. Is there anything in your life right now that remains unfinished? And how much is it weighing on your mind at this very moment? What in your life right now is unfinished, and, and what are you thinking about in terms of it being unfinished? Some of you, you're thinking about an unfinished meal, right? It's getting ready to be cooked as soon as you leave the sanctuary here. All right, for the students, you're thinking of an unfinished semester. You got uh, all kinds of standardized tests and end-of-the-year things that you have to do before you, you're free from your slavery, at least for the summertime. Uh, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter where you are, even for those of you in this room who are retired, you have found out that you, ha- you handed off one to-do list, but you picked up another. We have work that needs to be done, and it just never seems finished. It never seems finished. But here's the deal. The first part of that question is not optional. Okay, if I ask you if there's anything in your life that remains unfinished, the answer to that is yes, and it will always be yes for everybody in this room. But the second part of that question is optional. All right, for what remains, how much of it is weighing on your mind today? Again, there will always be work to do, but the degree to which we think about it, that we meditate on it, that we worry about it, that we stress over it, that's optional. And it's optional because what had to be done for us was done by Jesus Christ. And when he said three words, as you see up on the screen, the title of our message here this morning, he said these three beautiful words, it is finished. It is finished. You know, I I wish I could say that uh, because I'm fully aware of the finished work of Jesus Christ, that I don't get stressed out about my own unfinished work, but I'd be lying to you. And this has been one long struggle in my own life. Perhaps that's why I'm so aware of it all the time. Uh, Most of you in this room that know me well have heard my vocational journey. And at every job I've ever had, I've struggled with trying to get to the bottom of a to-do list that I can never get to, ever. When I was in baseball, as a sportscaster, one of my jobs was to create stat packs these, these uh, 40 and 50 page packs of statistics on all the players for our team and the team that we're playing against and all the other players that the uh, scouts were there scouting. Here's the problem. I spent three or four hours every day organizing these stat packs and stapling them and, and putting them in piles for the TV reporters and the newspaper writers. But as soon as the starting pitcher threw the first pitch, those 50 pages of statistics were no longer Right. They were all void. You just had to throw them in the trash because the stats were always changing. So I had to get up the next morning and do it again and again and again and again. It was exhausting. 
And then years later, of course, most of you know, when Ashley and I went to seminary, I drove a sweeper truck. It's led to many great uh, illustrations and stories over the years. One of the, one, one of the worst places I ever had to clean was this huge shopping center. Uh, Dave would know it well. It was called New Hope Commons. We used to call it No Hope, all right, because it was a huge Walmart super center with about 45 trash cans, but it was open 24 hours a day. And so by the time I was, I'd start at the Walmart, clean up the, the sidewalk, clean up the streets, change all the trash bags. By the time I got to the end of the shopping center, all the employees had already dumped their trash back where I started. And I'd say, it's never finished. It is never finished. And then, of course, now as a, as a pastor, Sunday's my favorite day of the week. You know, Sunday morning, get up and you got Sunday school and you, you preach the word. And then maybe we have a devotional at the uh, nursing home and then you come back at 2.30 and then you have a committee meetings and then we have evening service and then we do the young adult Bible study and you go home at 9.30 and it's this great feeling I have on Sunday night of just completion. But then I wake up su- uh, Monday morning and I get to the office and there's my Bible and there's a blank sheet of paper and everything starts all over. And same for you. If you work in landscaping, the grass is going to grow. All right. If, uh, if you're a doctor, people are going to get sick. It doesn't matter what you do. You have work to do. And if you're not careful, and if we don't rest in the three words that I'm going to talk about here today, we're going to chase after getting to the bottom of a to-do list that we'll never get to. Or we can rest and say, you know what? For all that had to be done, Jesus has already done it because it is finished. So what's our big idea as we walk through John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30? In one sentence, I'd say this is our big idea. The final words of Good Friday become the full glory of Easter Sunday when we celebrate the finished work of Christ. I'll say it again. The final words of Good Friday become the full glory of Easter Sunday when we celebrate the finished work of Christ. And when I read to you and when I pray for you, I read to myself and I pray it to myself. I hope that we cling to these three words, it is finished. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of John. All right, fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, grab the Pew Bible in front of you, for some of you. Be on page 1076 in your Pew Bible, okay? John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. And if you would stand at this time. Out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word. We're in John chapter 19. This is the last moment of Good Friday as we celebrate this on Easter Sunday. John chapter 19. We're just reading verses 28 through 30. Hear God's word to us, starting in verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, again, we love you. We thank you and praise you for the day that you have made, and we thank you for your Son who did for us what we could never do for ourselves, and when he was finished in three words, he made all things new. 
Father, as we celebrate the resurrection, let us, let us hold tightly to the final words of Good Friday at the same time. That Jesus has done for us what we just could never do if you left it to us alone. So we thank you for your son, and I just pray by the power of your spirit, you would open up our hearts and minds to fully receive the truth of this good news and to rest in it on this Easter Sunday that it is finished. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As we gather here on Easter Sunday, I I would venture to say that many of you in this room, if not all of you in this room, have heard about the cross. But I'm not going to pretend that everybody in this room understands the cross. I can't tell you how many years I sat in a church and I heard the gospel, but I didn't understand the gospel. All right, so I want to teach it today in a way that maybe assuming that you don't fully understand, or even if you do, that it will lead you to understand it in a deeper way, that we'll worship in a new way when we understand what it is that Jesus Christ has done for us. And I think this is more important now than it's ever been, because here's the deal. Jesus says things in the scriptures that are not popular. All right, it is not politically correct in 2019 to say that Jesus Christ is the only way to have a relationship with the eternal God who created us. It's not popular, all right? And I have many friends in this, in this world that I've grown up with, friends back in Philadelphia where I was raised and lived all over the country, Muslim friends in California, those who do not believe what I just said. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to have an eternal relationship with God. And in a room this size, I guarantee there are at least some of you who question that yourselves, And if you question that, I am not here to poke fun at you because I sat in a pew and questioned it a long time myself. If you're questioning it, maybe it's because you care about the truth. And I'm grateful for that. So I want to share what I believe is the truth of God. All right? Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now the question is, is that right or is that wrong? Because if what Jesus says is right, he is the only way to God. If it's wrong, he's not only not the only way, but he's not any way. But I'm going to share why I believe he, in fact, is the only way to have a relationship with God. And the reason why is this. And again, for those that are members here at Cedar Street or regular attenders, you've heard me say this quite a bit. I hope I'd, that God uses these words and brands them on your hearts that when you lay in bed at night, you think about this. All right? I always say the bookends of God, the way to fully understand all the characteristics and qualities of God is to know that God is holy and God is loving. And there are some of you in this room that you know that God is loving, but you don't know His holiness, and you think He's okay with your sin, and He's not. But then there are some of you that know that He's holy, but you don't know that He's loving. You know that you've fallen short and you feel so guilty in the presence of God that you could not imagine the fact that He could love you after the things that you've done. So what we need to have is a full balance as we understand the cross, that God is holy, which means He cannot compromise His perfect moral purity. And He will not allow anybody made in His image to also compromise that purity without that sin being punished. But He's loving in that he knows that we could not live perfectly, so he had to send his son to live perfectly for us. And this is why Jesus Christ is the only way to God. All right, Because if God is not holy, then anybody could just go to God, and any religion could get you there by good works. But the problem is none of us is perfect. 
we all sin against God by the things that we think, the things that we say, the things that we do. So we need someone to be perfect for us. And that someone is Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ is on the cross, I want you to be thinking about the holiness and love of God all at one time. In His holiness, He demands us to be perfect, but in His love, He gives Jesus to be perfect for us. And we receive that perfection by grace through faith. And so when Jesus said, it is finished, what He's saying is, He took care of everything that was necessary for us to have a relationship with God now and for all of eternity. So what I want to do real quickly is slowly walk through this and give us basically three realities of these three final words when Jesus said it is finished. And here's the first. Number one, it is finished because Christ fully earned our eternal perfection. Christ has fully earned our eternal perfection. Again, I said this a moment ago, God's perfect. And He created you in His image to be like Him. He created you to be perfect. Here's the problem. None of us has ever been perfect. And the reason why is you are born into a sinful nature. In fact, you were a sinner before you ever committed your first sin because you received that nature when you were born because you and I got that nature from our original parents, Adam and Eve. When they sinned, their children were born into that nature and their children were born into that nature. And so were we. All right? and, and, and if you're in any uh, hospital and you're in the nursery and, and you see when the babies are born, you know, that, that when they're born, they're, they come out screaming. They come out into a broken world. They come out saying, put clothes around me and feed me and hug me and hold me and wipe me and change me. It's me, 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 me. We don't have to have any more proof that we're born sinful because we're born thinking about nothing but ourselves. God did not create us that way. But that's how we're wired. It's the nature that we have. And we need to be, we need perfection, but we can't do it on our own. And God knew that. So in his love, he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the miracle. When we think about the cross, we'll talk in a few minutes about how when Jesus was on the cross, he shed his blood for our forgiveness. But we forget all the things that Jesus did moving up to the cross because that's equally as important. Historians believe that Jesus Christ lived 33 years in in his human form after he was incarnated. Okay, He's lived eternally as the Son of God, but when he took on human flesh, uh, historians believe he walked the earth for 33 years. Now, I want you to stop and think. In 33 years, Jesus Christ never had a sinful thought, never spoke a sinful word, never slipped up and had a, a sinful action. Even though Jesus had prostitutes weep at his feet, he himself never had the lustful thoughts that they had. Even though Jesus spent his days traveling with rowdy blue-collar fishermen, he himself never spoke an off-color word. And even though Jesus broke bread with crooked tax collectors, he himself never committed a single dishonest act. Jesus is perfection in every single way. In his thoughts, in his words... And in his deeds. And this is why he's the only one who was worthy to take the cross. All right? Worthy is the lamb who was slain. All right? He had to be perfect. God created this system in the nation of Israel where the people could bring the lambs from their livestock, the the spotless lambs, the best lambs that they had, and lay them on the altar, and the, the sins of the people would be temporarily forgiven. But as they kept sinning, 
More lambs had to be slaughtered. And it happened over and over and over. And there was no lamb so perfect that one sacrifice would cover all the forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future. But Jesus, because He's perfect, took the cross and His blood was so pure, it washes away our sin. He was the perfect Lamb of God, but He had to be perfect before He could be the perfect sacrifice. And I, 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 sometimes I just stop and think about even in one day when sinful thoughts pop into my head, greed and pride, or an off-color statement comes off my tongue. I try to get a good laugh and I say something really inappropriate. Or in my pride, I lash out against someone and I do something really stupid in my weak moment. Jesus never once did that. I, in my brain, it's hard for me to fathom how perfect He is. But He had to be. Because if He sinned even one time, He would not be worthy to be slain as, a, as an atonement for all of our sins. You know, and here's the deal. If He is perfect, and He did die on the cross, and we are saved by grace through faith that we place in Him, guess what? God actually declares you perfect by His blood. Do you know that? Do you know that because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, God looks at you like He looks at His own Son with unspeakable love and acceptance because He actually sees you as perfect by your faith in the One who is. And if we really believe that God loved us that much, and if we really believe that we were seen as perfect through the work of Jesus, how would that change our identity? Because what I feel like we're doing as human beings, and I've been guilty of this, we're trying to work our way to having an identity that we think will make us happy, that will finally bring us peace. But what we really need is peace with God. Now, my uh, favorite movie of all time, it's not really one movie, but it's six, okay? Rocky Balboa is one of my favorite movie characters of all time, and, and for several reasons. One, uh, you know, he represents the place I was born and raised, um, and also my ethnicity as an Italian-American. Uh, there's a lot of things that I, I, I can cling to Rocky Balboa. It's one of my favorite movies, but, you know, I started thinking about this the other day. The reason why there's more Rockies that keep coming out and keep coming out and keep coming out and keep coming out, it's because he's always seeking after something he can never fully have. I want you to stop and think about this. Humor me. And I'm not telling you to stop watching Rocky movies. I love Rocky. But, but think about life through the, the mind of Rocky for a second. In Rocky 1, he says, Oh, if I just go the distance with Apollo Creed, I'll finally gain the respect of the neighborhood. In Rocky 2, he said, well, no, i got to beat Apollo Creed. And if I beat him, I'll finally be respected by my wife. In Rocky 3, he says, no, i got to beat Clubber Lang, Mr. T. And if I beat him, I'll know that my championship belt was real. And then in Rocky 4, he said, no, nope, i got to beat the Russian. i got to beat Ivan Drago. And if I beat him, then the, the death of my friend Apollo Creed will be avenged. And then in Rocky 5, he said, no, i got to beat Tommy Gunn because I lost the respect of my neighborhood. And if I beat him, I'll get the respect of my neighborhood back. And then in Balboa, the last one, he said, now i got to beat this guy, Mason Dixon, because if I finally beat him, then I'll know that I cleaned all the skeletons out of my closet. The Rocky series is just one long story of somebody chasing after an identity that he can never hold on to. It's a beautiful story, but it's a tragic one at the same time. We as human beings do the same thing. Maybe we don't step into a boxing ring, but we say, if I just marry the right person, 
if I just get the right job, if I just have 2.5 children, if I just finish this degree, if I just save this much money, if I can just get past this doctor's report, if I can just do this, and if I can just do this, then I will have peace. Then I will be happy. Then I can take a deep breath and all will be right. And guess what? We'll be chasing after something we can never have. But when we rest in the fact that we are loved by God because of the perfection of Jesus Christ, when He says, it is finished, we can take a deep breath. doesn't mean we don't have dreams. It doesn't mean we don't work hard. But it means that our identity is rooted in something unchanging. Whether or not that doctor's report comes out the way that you want, whether or not that person respects you the way you think you deserve to be respected, whether or not your savings account or the Dow Jones says exactly what you wish it would say, you are still a loved and adopted child of God through Jesus Christ. And that is your identity. And that is what we need to rest in when we think about Jesus. Our true identity comes in Christ. We don't need the eye of the tiger. We need the blood of the lamb. The blood of the Lamb. So number one, it is finished because Christ has fully earned our perfection. Number two, it is finished because Christ has fully paid our eternal penalty. So so far, so good. Jesus was perfect and He was worthy to be the Lamb slain for the forgiveness of our sins. But if Jesus did not willfully go to the cross and take on all the wrath of God that we deserved then our forgiveness would still be incomplete. And as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and as he was thinking about going to the cross, and he was scared to death where Luke said he was sweating drops of blood, he says these words to God the Father. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. When he decided willfully to do what the Father sent him to do, he completed the work that needed to be done for us to be redeemed. That's what Jesus did. Our sins need to be atoned for. And this is the part that I think we miss the most. When people say there's more than one way to have a relationship with God, what they're saying is God can overlook sin. All right? You can earn your way to God without all of your sin being forgiven because God overlooks, He winks at sin. He doesn't think about sin. But no, God is holy, which means everything that you've ever done that disobeys Him has got to be punished. It's not that He's not loving. Again, we said He sent His Son, Jesus. But He also has to punish all sin because He's a perfect judge. He won't be compromised. All right? There's no backdoor handshakes. God is not going to be bribed. Every sin's got to be dealt with. And so, this is what happens on the cross. Hour upon hour upon hour on Good Friday when He is nailed to the cross, He's taking the spiritual spanking for all that we've done wrong. Hour after hour after hour. Wave upon wave upon wave. He's, he's, he's taking it one drop at a time. Drinking down the cup of God's wrath because He knew that we couldn't handle it. And He did it for us. Completely and totally. This is what happened on the cross. And what's our reward for his punishment? We're forgiven. We are declared forgiven. We are actually renewed in this relationship. And he he looks at us as if we ourselves had not committed those sins. We're forgiven. We're declared innocent. We're declared perfect. 
And we have this right standing before God because of what Christ did to pay that penalty. We're no longer an object of God's wrath, but we're now an object of God's love. And so therefore, when Jesus says it is finished, there's no more having to atone for our own sins. The only thing that we have left to do is confess them and know that in Christ we will continue to be forgiven because of what He's already done. You know, a couple of months ago, uh, I had a dear friend of mine and his wife come and visit us. In fact, you would know this, most of you, because uh, he preached here on a Sunday morning. Mac and MJ are two of my great friends from seminary who are now missionaries in Southeast Asia. And I just remember one sentence that Mac said in my kitchen. We were talking about the coming to the end of the semester, and I said, man, I, I got so much to do, so much to do. And he looked right at me. He said, you don't have to do anything. And I said, what do you mean? He said, it's finished. And I said, somebody did my homework? He said, no, it is finished. He said, I want you to think about this, Bo. He said, you don't have to do what you're doing. He said, yes, you need to finish your degree. But if the worst case scenario, you failed that class and you didn't get that degree, you're not going to lose your status before God. You're still going to be loved before God. You're not going to just spontaneous combustion and just cease to exist. All right, you're still going to be loved. You're not going to lose the most important thing that you need. It's finished. There is no more I have to. Now it's I want to, I get to, and I will do. But I don't have to. The have to was taken care of by Jesus Christ when he said it is finished. And I forget that a lot. And I bet you do too. I bet you do too. We don't have to, we get to. Because in Christ it is finished. So that leads me to my third and final point. It is finished because Christ has fully earned our perfection. He has paid our eternal penalty. And third and finally, Christ has fully secured our eternal plans. I love the fact that uh, He's already gone before us and, and set up these eternal plans that are far beyond anything that we could ever dream. You know, when I think about the love of God... Uh, there's a passage I've just been thinking about so much lately. It's a famous passage in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. This is the ultimate reward for Christ finishing the work that He finished and offering us eternal life. Here's what Paul says to the church at Ephesus. He says, According to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Basically, the eternal plans that He secured for you is you are now a resident of the kingdom of God. And the joy of being a resident is you rest in His love and you meditate in His love, and you, you seek to be filled with His love, because as you think about it and meditate on it, Paul says you will be filled with the fullness of God. You know, when we think about the kingdom of God, we think about eternal life, we think about heaven and earth colliding and a beautiful new earth, new body. That's going to happen one day for those who are in Christ Jesus. But can I just tell you this? Eternity starts now. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have full access 
to the Father right now. You have a relationship through the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you right now. You can meditate on His love and that love will break the chains of addiction. That, chain, that will break the chains of a mis- misunderstood identity. That love will break the chains of a broken marriage. That love can break any chain and mend any fence. It is unbelievable the citizenship we have in the kingdom of God rooted in the love of Christ because he has secured our eternal plans. That's what he's done. And if we needed any more of a reminder, here's what he tells us in John chapter 14. I I suppose you hear this in funerals all the time, but you need to hear this when you're not at a funeral, but at a service of celebration. In John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may also be. Jesus has done everything. He's perfect the way that we should have been. He took on the penalty that we deserved. He's gone before us and invited us into the kingdom and He's set up our eternity for us already. There's nothing left for us to do but to continue to lean on Him. As it says in John 15, my life verse, abide in the vine, rest in Him, lean into Him, meditate on His love, and then out of that rest, obey Him. He says, if you love me, you'll obey me. Not obedience so that you're trying to earn something, but obedience out of gratitude that He's already done it for you. That's the good news of Easter. That's the good news of those three words that it is finished. And that leads us to this statement to summarize all things. I would sum it up by saying this. Through our faith in Christ's finished work, we can now live our lives from victory instead of for victory. We can live a life based on the fact that the victory has already been won in Jesus. I want to leave you with an illustration. I want you to imagine for a second, I may have shared this in years past, but I just want to imagine for a second that you're the head coach of a football team, an NFL team. And before the season started, the commissioner called you into his office and he said, I just want to tell you something. You're Super Bowl champions this year. And you say, well, we got a whole season to play. Yeah, but we've already declared you a Super Bowl champion. In fact, we actually inscribed your team's name on the Lombardi trophy right here. You see it? Beautiful, shiny trophy. It's already been, your name's already on the trophy. It's already been won. Now go out and play like a champion because you've already been declared one. If you were a coach of a team and that's what you were told before the season started, wouldn't it change the way you played the game? I don't think it would make you timid. I think it would make you blow the playbook wide open. And I think even when you lost a few games, because he didn't say that you were going to win all 16 of them, he said you were going to be a champion. On the highs and lows, you'd remind yourself, I'm declared a champion. If you lost a game, you'd walk off the field and say, you know, that wasn't pretty, but I'm going to wake up a champion tomorrow because the season's not over yet. And when it is over, I know that I've already won. Well, that's exactly the type of life we're called to live as believers in Jesus Christ. We are called to meditate on the fact that we know the end of the story. All right, I love the scriptures because you can go and read the end. And you find out we win in the end because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. But we still have to work that out, the Bible says, in fear and trembling. And what that means is we need to take seriously the promises of God. And we need to live the rest of our lives in faith, remembering our identity is not in what we do. 
It is in who Christ is and what He has done and what He has accomplished when He says it is finished. So I don't care where you're at in your phase of life right now. If you're a student and you're worried about grades, you know what? Pray, work hard, do the best you can, but realize your identity is not in your report card. I say that to myself with finals coming up next week. All right? Didn't think I'd be chasing a master's degree at 38 years old, but I'm still struggling with that. But guess what? My identity is not me being a student. It's not what degree I get. All right? For those of you right now, you have jobs, and maybe it's not going well at, at your work, and you're worried about losing your job. Well, maybe you lose the job. Maybe you don't. But guess what? Either way, your identity is not in what you do. Okay? And being a manager and being an employee and being a coach and being a teacher, being an administrator, that is not who you are. You're a child of God. Doesn't matter what degree you got hanging on the wall. It doesn't matter what awards you got in your trophy case. That's not who you are. You're a Christian following the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to live in that because no one can take that away from you. It's a gift. But the last thing I'll say is it's a gift that has to be received. There are some of you in this room right now that gift has been sitting on your front porch your whole life. And you haven't opened it. For some of you, it's because you don't think you need it. All right, There are people that say, you know, that's nice. Jesus is a good moral teacher, but I don't need a Savior. I'm a good person. I do good things. I, I'm going to go to heaven one day. I mean, God, why would God send me to hell? I, I, I work with civic organizations. I give to the needy. I do all these good things. Again, let me say this. Heaven is not where good people go. Heaven is where forgiven people go. Because if heaven was where good people go, nobody but Jesus would be there. But Jesus Christ, through His finished work, declared you good by what He did on the cross. And you receive that by grace through faith. That means that you understand that you're a sinner, all right, and you admit it, and then you believe that you need to be saved. All right? And you confess with your tongue that Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And the Bible says that you will be saved. Which means that gift that's been sitting on your front porch, it will be opened. And you will fully receive that gift. And you will be called a child of God. But you must admit that you need it. You must admit that you're not good enough no matter how hard you try. It needs to be through the work of Jesus Christ. And we need to rest in those three words. It is finished. Let's pray. Father, there is not a day that goes by that any of us don't need to be reminded of those three words. There's so much stress and so much pressure in this world. There's stress and pressure at work and at school, in our marriages and our families. There's stress in our finances and our health. We live in an insecure world, Lord, and we're just constantly seeking security. Would you help us to find our security in those three words that it is finished? That everything that had to be done has already been done in Jesus. Father, if there's anybody in this room that does not fully understand the gospel message, has not fully given their life over to Jesus, and, and they are guilty where they are, and they'll be condemned and have to take on their own penalty for sin because it wasn't taken care of for them on the cross because they did not put their faith in Jesus. Father, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, move in their hearts 
Open up their minds to know the truth and to respond in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And help us as a church to come alongside and minister to them that they could know the true joy of these three words, that it is finished. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.